0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming this morning. If it's your first time, a, a really big welcome to you too. And uh, and we're really pleased that you could be with us this morning. As Leon said, we're in week three of a series called Dare to Be. We've had Dare to be weird like Simon, Dare to be open like Leon, and, uh, and this is Dare to be Broken. And um, I just want, had a bit of a revelation this week, actually, about this word dare. And when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, um, I was one of those um, framework rebellious teenagers. And what I mean by that is I was a little bit naughty, but I still handed my homework in. So that gives you a framework of what, of what I was like. So I'd be the kid that might be giving it a bit of this, but would slip your maths homework on the desk as you went out the door. And there were quite a few of those, really, in, um, in, in, in our gang that we hung around with. But but we used to dare each other to do things all the time, ranging from, you know, the, 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 the slightly more like lower level stuff of, you know, knocking on somebody's door and running off, Lee, that we heard about the other week. No, terribly not, definitely not. But, to, but if they dared you, but if they double dared you to do something, then you're on another level Double daring was really, really hot. I was really, really up there. So I moved through these levels of daring from knocking on somebody's door to running off to, to actually phoning people up and telling them that some things were going to happen that didn't. Like um, the time we phoned somebody and said, we're testing the telephone line, and if you pick it up, if it rings and that's 30 seconds, you'll give somebody on the end another electric shock. And without doubt, they would do it, and you just go, ah! down the phone when they picked it up and this' it's just true confession time this isn't I'm glad the youth are out this isn't giving anybody any ideas <laughs> this morning but but then but then moving on to 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 my most awful confession if you know me really well you will know this story already is is that we're in double biology and somebody said I dare you Jane to see how close you could get that lighted splint to that person's hair and and it and it was worse than an ooh. It was. It was went like a haystack. It was awful. It was absolutely awful, and, um, and 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 that was that was probably the range and everything in between, really. But God gave me some understanding this week about that. Actually, well, actually, that wasn't being dared at all. That was me being goaded. That was me being goaded into doing something, and goaded is all about um, provoking somebody to get an action or a reaction. And I just want to take away from this word dare, because for some of you like me, when when that first came up as a series, I went straight back to those moments in my life where I'd been dared to do something, when actually I'd been goaded. And actually there's a big difference in being dared. And what we are trying to do through this whole series is actually dare us to be, God is daring us to become brave enough to do something different to call something out of us, to have the necessary courage or boldness to do something. So when we're talking about dare to be weird, dare to be open, dare to be broken even this morning, it's about God calling something out of us, not us goading you and prodding you with a stick and going, I dare you to do that. I dare you to do that, Simon. I dare you to go and be weird. That isn't what we're saying. What we're saying this morning is actually God is calling us, calling us out into something new and different in, in our relationship with him. And so if you knew that you could, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do this morning to make our world a better place? If you knew you couldn't fail, what is one thing that you would do to make our world a better place? And while you're thinking that through, I want to put one of the saddest verses in the Bible up on the screen this morning, which, which I think really epitomizes God's heart for us this morning. And this is verse in Ezekiel 22, verse 13, it says this, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. I found no one. You see, God is searching just for that one person to step out and be different to step out and do something different to step out and model something different and the truth is we are those people that were made to be different and if you don't believe me there's a great verse in Ephesians that says this Ephesians 2:10 it will come up on the screen again that says you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for a good work prepared in advance for you to do you know what god wants for our lives and what god wants for us here as a community is good You may not feel like that at the moment, you may be going through a season that doesn't feel good, but actually what God wants for you and what God has purpose for you has to be good. You know, a few weeks ago we looked at the No Filter series, do you remember that? And we raised some really, um, really big issues or challenges in our world that we really felt God wanted us to see with no filter. But there are only a few, aren't they? There are loads of things in our world that clamor for my attention or my money or my time or even my commitment, because our world is going through pivotal and significant changes. I'm you know, I'm not here to to tell you that you already know that. But the question then comes out from that is so if God is looking for somebody, what kind of person is he looking for? What has to happen in me to make me that person that God says, There you are, Jane, you're the person. You're the person I've been looking for. And I'm not talking about what you think I might be going to talk about this morning when it says about being broken. I'm not talking about the times when we have to be vulnerable or transparent before God. And we have to come with our lives and go, God, look, look at this. Look at what's happened. Look at, look at where I am. Look at these circumstances around me that I just can't have any control over. But I just find myself here. That isn't what I'm talking about this morning. But if you do find yourself in that situation, we have an excellent care network system here. And I'm sure, you know, the leadership here, Simon and Leon will be happy, more than happy to steer you in the right direction with that. Because believe me, I found myself in those places where God's had to break something off me or around me to allow me to become the person that I need to be to improve my personal well-being. And that's one side of brokenness. And that's really, really important. But that isn't what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about being broken by God and for God. Being broken by God and for God. That's about being broken in all the right ways and in all the right places. And only God can do that. Only God can do that well. So what does it actually happen? What actually has to start in me for that process to happen? I mean, this is about a word that I want to use this morning, dislocation. Now some of you may have dislocated something in your past, either a knee or a shoulder or even a hip or some other part of your body. I never have, but I am told it is very, very painful. It is very, very painful, and it really hurts. But that isn't what I'm talking about this morning. When I'm talking about the word dislocation, about developing a dislocated heart, what I'm using is this phrase, which is, it's a disturbance from an original or a usual place or state. So for dislocating something, it's disturbance from an original or usual place or state. So if I look at my life, and look at my own heart, what's the usual state of my heart? Well, sad to say, the state of my heart is for me. I love me. I love the good things that happen in my life. I love improving that. I love experiencing that. It's concerned for my health and my well-being. I'm really sorry. I'd love to say it's for you, but it's for me. And actually, it might extend to my family and my close friends, but that's as far as it gets without God, if I'm really honest with you. So what does it mean when God dislocates my heart? And I found this brilliant quote. And this is a quote written by somebody. I wish I could remember their name. I'm sure I will. Um, It'll come to me at some point. um, About what it means to have a dislocated heart. And this is the quote. And it says this. A God-giving concern for others that propels me out of my comfort zone. It's a passionate concern for God's agenda that supersedes my own desires for personal peace and prosperity. Brilliant quote. Simply what that means is this. It's me caring about things elsewhere when circumstances don't dictate that I have to. I don't have to turn up for you. I don't have to go there with you. I don't have to experience that with you. And that's what this is all about. When my heart is dislocated by God, it means that my circumstances aren't dictating what I need and what I don't need to do. It's knowing I can't change everything, but I'm convinced enough that I have to change something. And something is better than nothing. Something is better than nothing. And there's a guy called Nehemiah in the Old Testament. We're going to have a quick look at him this morning. That shows us exactly what it means to have our heart dislocated for something. And I just want to give you a bit of background history to, to his circumstances. So he was in Jerusalem about 444 BC. And he was a guy that God used to pull off a phenomenal feat. He instilled a vision inside this guy to rebuild the walls of his city it may seem something that we really struggle to connect with sometimes but actually as we go through this is more there's a lot of similarities here in what God is actually doing here right now in this place in 2016 and in spite of loads of opposition and loads of hurdles they accomplished this task in 52 days I wonder what we'd love to do in 52 days if we could accomplish something and change something in 52 days, I wonder what we would choose that to be. And an attempt had been made to rebuild these walls before, but this king, king called Artaxerxes issued this decree to stop the project because people were complaining about it. They were complaining that the walls were being rebuilt. So he said, right, we'll stop it then. We'll stop it. There's too much complaining. Too much. We can't get on with each other. We'll just stop it. Now, in November or December of 444 BC, so around this time of year... Nehemiah was serving as a cupbearer to to a king called Artaxerxes. It's the same guy. It's the same guy. And then he had a life-changing conversation with his brothers, and all his mates came in to tell him what we're going to read right now. Okay, so that's the background. So he knows all this stuff. He knows what this king has done already. Here's this guy. He's had this conversation. His mates have come and told him some gossip that's been going on back home, and here we are in this conversation. Okay, so this is where we find it in Nehemiah chapter 1 in the first four verses, and it says this. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burnt with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah, here's this report about his city, his hometown, where he's got a connection to, the walls are broken down. And that means this city has no protection, no security at all. And this is the city that God had promised would be the hope of the world. That's what God had said. Now, if we could get in a time machine and go back and look at this scene, I would probably be one of the people that would be going to where was with me, This is a lost cause, isn't it? Look at the state of this place. How is anything ever going to come from this? Look at the work we'd have to do. Look at the investment. Look at the resource. Look at the money it's going to cost to put all this stuff together. God, let's just move on. Let's find somewhere else. Let's do something completely different. We'll leave this alone. There's nothing that can be done. And that's what I would be thinking. And then you've got Nehemiah in this story, who could well have been saying, I've got a great job now. I don't need this hassle. And actually, I didn't cause this to happen in the first place. Why should should I get involved? This doesn't affect me. You know, I've got a really nice kind of income Then, a nice place to live. I've got some good mates. Why should I actually be concerned about what's happening over here? But look at what Nehemiah did. He sat down and he wept. I want to suggest to you this morning that when you sit down, you're actually stopping. When you sit down, you stop. And Nehemiah sat down, and not only did he sit down, he let himself feel uncomfortable. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate that feeling. I don't know how many of you watch Children in Need on Friday night, but some of those videos and some of those stories made me feel more than uncomfortable, made me feel a bit uneasy. And there were times when I had to turn the channel over and then come back, because I couldn't, couldn't sort of bear what I was seeing and bear to hear what I was hearing about the state of some people's lives and their journeys and their experiences that they've been on and this is what Nehemiah did but he didn't turn the channel over he sat down he let himself become uncomfortable and uneasy and it didn't stop there because he cried over it but then it says he grieved over it he mourned over it and that wasn't just an overnight thing or a weekend challenge this wasn't me going back from church last Sunday and going you know taking on board the great stuff that Leon had said but by Wednesday it's gone And I've moved on to something else. The Bible says that Nehemiah was in this process for about three months. Three months he sat and he wept. Three months. Allowing God to break him so God could use him. Now, I think this is what was going on. I think you had this guy over here going, he's got a great job. I've got great food. I'm loving it. I love what I do. I'm made for this job. I'm really having some influence. I'm great mates with the king oh, I just don't know what to do, to going over here to, but God, you're showing me this, and I can't bear, my heart can't bear to look and see what the city is like. I can't bear to look at what you're doing, what isn't being done in your name. Father, And oh, but, oh, I'm going to lose some salary. I'm going to lose some salary. I'm going to drop. My standard of living is going to drop. I'm not going to know. There's nobody there to do it. I'm going to have to start this from scratch. Nobody will come with me. Oh, but look what could happen. Look what could happen. Look at what could be if these walls would be rebuilt. If God, you could reside in your city again and your love and your mercy and your grace could flow, look at what we could do. Look at what could change. And this is what was going on. And I'm suggesting that this is what goes on in us all the time. All the time. But I'm here but I know you're showing me this, but I know I'm going to lose this, but I'm going to gain this. Three months that went on in him. So please don't berate yourselves if you're going through that process right now, because it's a godly process. But the difference is, if this was me, and I'd finally come to the place of saying, right, I'm going to do something, do you know what I'd do? I'd have started a project by now. I'd have got a plan and a strategy. I'd have got a team together. We'd have been on this thing. They'd have been, I'd have been banging on Leon's door. We'd have been, I've got this, got this, this is what we need to do. And then God's going to do this, and it's all Christian, isn't it? We're all good. I'd have been way down that line. But do you know what? I start a project. God wants a process. If Nehemiah had stayed here, he'd have started a project. Guarantee he'd have started a project. He moves over here with God, and suddenly we've got a process. Suddenly we've got a process. The difference is sometimes we can't tell the difference. And that's because we go through some similar things. So on both sides of these fences here, if I can use that analogy, our hearts move for something. Our hearts dislocated for something. We start feeling something about something, an issue, a challenge, an injustice. Then we get moved by it, moved enough to want to do something. Moved enough to live with that uncomfortable uneasy feelings that we get. So we feel compelled to do something. We feel compelled to start something. This is where the difference comes. I develop a plan, I recruit a team, I get a strategy together. It's all going good, but that's with my energy and my resource. So I'm all right to step three. When it comes to the next step, God's still here, I've moved over here, and I've got my little team around me, and we're going for it. The danger with that is, guys, is I'm not decrying, proce- decrying project, because that's really important. But what happens is, if I stay over here, and I dislocate God out of the process, what I end up with is being discouraged, being challenged, being burnt out, and then I give up. Then I give up. And I start a new project. Because God will show me something else and I think, oh, and I go through the same thing again and again and again. Guys, if we stay over here and we're compelled to do something, what we do is we fall to our knees and we go, God, I cannot do this without you. I'm totally, haven't got the ability, haven't got the resource, haven't got all the wisdom that I need, but God, you have. So we're going to do this thing and we're going to rebuild these walls, but God, you're coming with us. And you're going to lead me. And you know what happens when we do that? When we do that, we still pursue that concern with all that zeal and all that energy and all that commitment. And we actually see the job done. We actually see the job done. Because God's priority and God's process is to do something so deep within me that he can work something significant through me. But we have to go through this broken process to get to that place. You see, Nehemiah was living in the lap of luxury. He had everything he needed, but his heart was dislocated for Jerusalem. What is your heart dislocated for? See, Jesus, his heart was dislocated. He was living in the lap of luxury. Just imagine what his world was like. He was living in heaven with his father, all the angels, having a great time. But you know what? His heart was dislocated for me his heart was dislocated for me. So much so, so that he left all of that and he came and presents himself on this earth so that I could have that relationship back with him. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of him, that's exactly what the gospel is in a nutshell. That Jesus cared enough about you to leave all of that behind, to present himself in a world, to come and find you. To come and find you. Remember at the start when I said that, um, you know, God is looking for somebody to step out and, and make a difference. Well, let me tell you something about difference makers. They're not always the ones that have everything together and have a lot to give. A lot of difference makers are those who make available all they have. And that may sound cheesy, but it is true. It is true. By being broken in the right way and being broken in all the right places. And that's so important because then it's not because I'm a great leader. It's not because I've persuaded you by by speaking to you about coming and joining me. I've not sold you a vision that then you found actually doesn't follow through. I thank God that he's not like that. He doesn't have to persuade me. He doesn't sell me something. Because what happens is I'm championing his agenda now and not my own. And not my own. Do you ever get this thought or feeling sometimes that the world's Never been in a worse place than it is now. It's never as broken as it's been now. It's never as lost as it is now. And then what often happens in my brain is I get this follow up thought that is, and do you know what? The global church has never been further away from making an impact on it. And God had to challenge me on that this week and say, Jane, just pick up that book that you call the Bible, because if you think things are bad, look at the stuff in here. God isn't worried about what's happening in the world right now, in that sense. It's been a lot worse. It's been a lot worse. But you know what? When it was worse, God raised up a Moses. When all God's people are going to be destroyed, he raised up an Esther. And you might be sitting there going, well, actually, Jane, you're making a big assumption there. You're, you're, you're speaking as I've actually believed these people were real. Well, just to counteract that then, if you look back through all of our history, what about your John Wesleys? And your Whitfields and your William Booths? We've made those people famous by looking back and seeing what they've done. They just got up and did something about what God had shown them to do. We make these people famous. And all through history, God is looking to carry out his plan through ordinary people. The problem is, I always assume it's going to be through somebody else. But why can't it be you? Why can't it be me? Why can't it be us? that come together and do something really significant because the only qualification is, is my heart fully his? And if it is, can I get beyond my own need and my own world? And that is the only question really and the only qualification. So if all this is true, Jane, what you're saying, and if you're with me so far and we're on the same page, why is it that so many people accomplish so little? And I think it's these two little words that are killers and it's called good intentions good intentions. My daddy said to me, Jane, good intentions will never change the world. And it was often when I was at the end of being disciplined for something. Because I'd started well, but I'd bombed out at the end. Because I had good intentions. I meant to do that. I meant to do the housework. I meant to wash up. I meant to clean the car. And on and on and it goes. Because what we do is, we pat ourselves on the back when we have a desire to do something. Not when we've done something. So having a desire, having a good intention, we think, oh, I've really, yeah, yeah, I can give myself to that. And that's why it's really important that as we're going on this journey as a church to where God is taking us, that we don't do good intentions. We do God intentions. And we actually see the job done. You see, Nehemiah, he was a guy. He wasn't a leader. He had the nugget of a leadership gift in him. He had a nugget of a leadership gift in him. He had a seemingly impossible situation. He had no resources at the start. He had such a random group of people, but he ends up having his heart dislocated and being broken by God for the things of God. And if you don't believe me, read the rest of the book because he actually accomplishes what he set out to do in the first chapter of that book. Isn't that a little like us? We're a random group of people. We might think we have little or no resources, but God can do incredible things because when we are broken it allows us to have a vision that Bill Hybels says is a preferable picture of the future and I want that who wants a preferable picture of the future I do And actually being broken by God in all the right ways and in all the right places allows that vision to be planted in us. And what would it really be like if God really did something and turned up somewhere? What could happen if we had the resources and a group of people standing with us, helping us with the gifts that we don't have, maybe a multi-site could actually happen. Maybe over the Christmas period we will see hundreds of people come through these doors that need to hear the good news that there's a hope and a future for them. Now, God isn't calling us to solve the problems of the world. But he's asking us this morning, will we sit down? Will we slow down enough so that we can hear that whisper that says, you see those people over there, Jane? They're the people I want you to help. Or you see that person over there, Jane, that's in the queue in front of you in Sainsbury's or or it's, you bumped into accidentally, that's the person I want you to follow up. That's the person I want you to have a conversation with. That's the person whose life I want to enter and want to try and change. But it's not just going to happen this morning. And this is the really, really important bit. In this process with God, it often carries on in private and in secret. So we go back to Nehemiah. Later in the story, Nehemiah 2, verse 11, it says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I hadn't told anyone, anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on and by night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool but there wasn't enough room for my mount to get through so I went up the valley by night examining the wall. Finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. I'm really excited at the moment, and I really get excited like this, um, but I see a parallel in that process and in what this church leadership has gone through. If you remember Leon saying about, you know, God planning something in him, he saw something, did he tell anybody? No. Did he even share it with his wife? No. He went out and he spied the land and he walked the streets and he sat in some coffee shops and he prayed over it and he looked at the people and he let God speak into him what he felt God wanted to do. Maybe he was allowing himself to be broken in all the right ways and in all the right places. Process before project. Project. You know, God works better with our plans rather than our vague ideas because my vague ideas often turn into good intentions. And it's where I don't want to be. And I'm going to ask the band to come back and I'm going to be really bold this morning. And that's a lot of information to take in and, and a lot of stuff and challenge, maybe. And I'm not apologizing for that this, moment, this morning because if we get this right and we start this right, what God can do will be incredible. Will be incredible. And there are three questions I want to leave you with this morning. And the first one is this. Will we care enough to dare to be broken? Will we care enough to dare to be broken? If we can say yes to that, then will we care enough to let God rearrange some things in our lives? And if we can say yes to those two things, then when will, will we care enough to not want this church to be what we want it to be, but to be the church that it needs to be? Not the church that we want it to be, but the church that we need to be. And maybe we need to repent a little this morning, and that's a really scary word sometimes, but I think it's only because we don't really understand what the word means sometimes. And repentance is really just about changing our mind, but that leads to a change of action, at least' doing something different. And maybe I've been a little too consumed at times with myself and my comfort. And it's not about making bold statements like, I'm going to sell everything I have, Lynn. and I'm going to give all the money into the church. I'm going to come seven nights a week, and I'm going to be praying on my knees three hours a day. Because we don't, they're good intentions. What God wants us to do is to slow down, start small, let God be involved in that process. Let God add things into the journey as we go. And then you can look back and say, wow, I never thought I'd get here. I'm sure Nehemiah, after that 52nd day, looked at that and thought, God, when I was weeping, over my stake I'd rather be standing here now looking at these walls looking at these walls so I'm going to ask you to stand you know when Nehemiah went through three positions doing his process with God you know firstly he sat down and he wept then he knelt down and he prayed but then he stood up and he acted and where are you in those three positions this morning? And we're going to, um, or I'm going to invite you to, to actually get involved with God this morning where you are in your life. And I just want to say to you, if you want to start a process with God, and that may be you don't know him, you're finding out about him, but you're willing to start a journey of discovery to find out who he is then I'm going to ask you to sit down. Just sit down. If you're willing to start a process with God about anything, and you know that actually you've been enjoying maybe some rich steak for a long time, and you just want to, want to enter into God and say, God, are you asking me to do anything? Are you, asking, are you showing me something? Do you, want to, do you want me to get involved in something? And you're willing to start that process. Don't make a project out of it. Don't put loads of plans around it. To start that dialogue with God, I'm going to ask you to sit down. And then if you feel that you have sat for too long and you know God has been prodding you and God has been poking you about something, I'm going to ask you this morning that maybe you need to go to the second position, which is kneeling down and praying. And what that involves is going out, looking at something, maybe doing the bit in private and in secret. Letting God speak to you and build a picture about what he wants to do, how he wants to move you on. Again, not making a project out of it. We're actually inviting God into that process and if that's you I'd ask you to kneel this morning if you know that God has spoken to you about something and you may have sat on it for a long time I think God is now saying now's the time to kneel now's the time to start to pray Now's the time to start to walk the land and see what God can actually do with this nugget with this diamond that's inside of me and the third position is this if you know that you've knelt for a long time and you know it's now time to stand up and to act and do something, I'm going to ask you to remain standing. Or if you want energy and you need resource, or you need to really connect, reconnect with God and make sure that God, you're still with me, we're still in this together, we're still walking the road together, I've still got this right, I'm asking you to remain standing. So if you want to start a process about anything with God... Or maybe take something from a project into a process. I'm ask you to sit down. If you need to move that on a bit more, I'd ask you to kneel if you can. And the third thing is if you know that you want to act onto something and something is moving and you want God to continue that process with you, to remain standing. And just do that dialogue with God just right now, just for a minute. Ask God for that dislocated heart. Father, we're before you this morning. and Father, whatever position we find ourselves in, wherever we are, Father, we want to just say that we dare to be broken this morning. And by saying that, God, we're giving you permission to to call something out of us that gives us boldness and courage to do something different, to see something different, to be part of something different. And God, if that means that things need to be rearranged a little, a little in our lives, that priorities need to shift maybe, that God, would you help us do that? Father, if we need to go out and we need to walk the land, whether that's figuratively or whether that's literally, Father, would you, would you walk on that process with us? Would you take us on that road? Would you, would you walk that journey with us? Would you help us know, Father, what it looks like in my world? To love others the way that you love them, to see others the way that you see them, to look at communities the way that you look at them. And God, for those of us that are standing, Father, and we know that we need to act on something, or we're already acting on that, Father, I pray for a refilling of your Holy Spirit, for a re-energizing, Father, to help us to continue to pursue and continue to pursue that concern that you first birthed in us whenever that was over whatever that was remind us again Lord remind us again I pray and we come back to the start Lord where it all flows from you anyway it's all about who you are And the what, the how, the when and the why will all flow out of that. And as we finish, Lord, as we worship, would you just realign maybe some of the stuff that needs to be realigned. Dislocate some of that stuff that needs to be dislocated. Father, we do not wanna be in our usual state of being. dare to be broken this morning, God, for a world that needs you. In Jesus' name.